Hello and thanks for joining us for the October 2017 episode of the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast from the Institute for Research and Poverty at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Dave Chancellor. This episode is about child obesity in the United States. But to learn more about this, I talked via Skype with Tashara Leek, who's an assistant professor of nutritional sciences at Cornell University. Professor Leek says that although child obesity rates have leveled off in the last decade, they're still much higher than they were just a generation ago. And Leek says this is a big concern when it comes to health and well-being for these children and adolescents. We've started seeing a lot of news media because we've observed that in the past 30 years, childhood obesity rates have more than tripled. Uh, which is extremely alarming. So currently what we're looking at is about 17% of U.S. children and adolescents reporting being obese, which is just astronomical given how wealthy this country is. And of course, certain groups of children and adolescents are affected more than others. What we've been seeing is that ethnic minorities experience higher rates of childhood obesity in comparison to white um, American children. So for example, right now, Hispanic children are experiencing the highest rate of childhood obesity followed by African-American children. And Leek says that just as there's a lot of variation in childhood obesity rates by ethnicity, there are also different patterns in the rates of obesity by age group. We've seen a drastic decrease in childhood obesity rates amongst children between the ages of two and five. But we are extremely concerned about adolescents because they've just been kind of steadily increasing. So when we talk about it broadly, children between the ages of two and 19, yes, the the levels, um, the rates of childhood obesity have stabilized, but now we need to start looking at particular subgroups and certain age groups that may be more at risk, like adolescents. Professor Leek says being overweight or having obesity are risk factors for a variety of diseases, and that there's additional concern because health and nutrition behaviors learned in childhood tend to carry through to people's lives as adults. So one thing that we are particularly concerned about is type 2 diabetes. We've been seeing an increase in type 2 diabetes amongst children and adolescents, which is a disease that historically has been thought to be an adult disease. And obesity and weight is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. Then we start looking at, I mean, everything from high blood pressure and high cholesterol, which again are risk factors for developing cardiovascular disease, which is currently the number one cause of death in the United States. We've been seeing reports about weight and sleep difficulties and sleep apnea, um, respiratory issues such as asthma. So there, yeah, there are just so many various issues associated with having obesity during childhood. Researchers have been trying to sort through the factors that contribute to child obesity, including whether there's a link between child obesity and socioeconomic status. Understanding childhood obesity and poverty has been extremely challenging. So we have not seen that income is a strong predictor of childhood obesity rates. What we have observed is that education of the primary caregiver in the household seems to be a, a strong predictor of childhood obesity. So in households where they're the primary caregiver 
has less than a high school education, we've observed higher rates, significantly higher rates of childhood obesity compared to households where the primary caregiver has more than a high school diploma. Professor Leake says that there are still a lot of things to be teased out to better understand the factors associated with child obesity, but that we can see that kids from lower income households and neighborhoods experience different sets of challenges compared to those from higher income households. So for example, in a low income neighborhood, those children experience issues such as limited access. So we've seen that in food deserts, you may not see full-scale grocery stores, meaning that children and their families are having to go to maybe corner stores um, that maybe don't offer as much fresh fruits and vegetables or other healthy options for them to purchase. We've also seen challenges in similar neighborhoods around those corner stores being able to accept food stamp vouchers and WIC vouchers. And so while we don't necessarily, we're not able to say that nationally, using nationally representative data that higher, that being low income places you at additional risk for childhood obesity, it's important that we do acknowledge that lower income households experience unique challenges. There have been a number of studies aimed at developing ways to get children and adolescents to eat better when healthier choices can be made available. Prior work that Professor Leake was involved in, for example, tested a variety of behavioral, economic, or nudge strategies to see if they could be used to help children make healthier eating choices. So an example of that may be providing a larger serving spoon to serve vegetables. Um, another example was to place less healthier items further away. So it's more likely they, they would get the healthier items and get seconds of the healthier items because they were sitting on the table and maybe the less healthy items were left in the kitchen. And we saw modest effects. We found that some there were two strategies that stood out. Um, well, really one, it was that serving two different types of vegetables. So variety was very much a positive strategy that if families were to employ that, we would see increases in child vegetable intake. But I will say one of the challenges with this, and this is why I'm moving away from this, is that you can make changes in the home environment, but that's not the only place where children are eating and making choices. In particular, Leek finds that focusing on individual level changes in the home often doesn't lead to long-term results. What we've seen, just again more broadly, is that some of these studies have been effective. Let's say they had an intervention for 8 to 12 weeks, and we'll see decreases in weight status. And they maybe maintain that weight status or weight loss for maybe six months. But then what happens is that pretty consistently, by month 12, people continue, children are gaining the weight back and they return back to their original baseline weight. And so it's more about this idea that we can't just intervene in one place. Um, we really need more collective efforts to encourage sustainable weight loss among children and, act in and more broadly among adults and their parents as well.
Because of this, Leek thinks that community or systems level approaches to changing eating habits may have a better chance of success when it comes to ultimately seeing reductions in weight status among overweight and obese children. Shape Up Somerville, which was initially set up as a study specifically designed to address the issue of childhood obesity, is an example of the kind of intervention that she sees as promising. And so the study occurred in Somerville, Massachusetts, and the goal was to see decreases in weight status among children in first, second, and third grade. And they implemented a variety of strategies. Um, So for example, within the school, they would highlight healthy fruits and vegetables. They offered a salad bar and had fruit available. Um, But also outside of the school, they made changes in the broader community. So they had something called Shape Up Approved Restaurants. And if restaurants met certain guidelines, then they were considered Shape Up Approved. They got a stamp and they got extra publicity. So some of the strategies they may implement were to offer smaller portion sizes of entrees, um, to have more fruit and vegetable side dishes, um, offering low-fat dairy. Um, And then they also did things to encourage physical activities, such as creating bike paths and safe routes and um, more bike racks around school, but especially at the school. Um, So this was an extremely popular study. It it started in 2002 and went on until 2005. And since then, the city has really adopted a lot of the strategies and they've continued to build upon the, the study. And now the city owns this and really, you know, takes ownership of this idea of a shape up Somerville. But that's probably the study that I like to reference most because this is what we need to be moving towards. This idea that it's not just on parents to make healthier dishes for their children at home, but we really need to get everyone involved in making sure we're having consistent messaging around what healthy eating is. Beyond interventions like Shape Up Somerville, Professor Leek says there are a few larger-scale approaches to moving the needle on childhood obesity that she sees as being important moving forward. I think that there are lots of opportunities for us to address childhood obesity. Um, For example, clinicians are extremely important in this narrative. We need to be doing a better job of screening for not just obesity, but now again, type two diabetes has to be on our radar. And because this is relatively new, we haven't been historically testing children um, to see if they have type two diabetes. And then also, you know, just this idea that we need more systems level interventions But I do want to put on people's radar that in 2018, we have the reauthorization of the Farm Bill. And about 80% of the Farm Bill funds go towards nutrition programming. And the majority of that goes towards the Supplemental Nutrition and Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, um, informally known as food stamps. And this is an opportunity for us to start talking about What are ways in which the Farm Bill can address childhood obesity and support programs that provide healthier food options? So the conversations are starting to happen. 
at the national level, but I really do encourage everyone to engage in such conversations and start thinking about this because we're talking about about $489 billion over a five year period of funding that could really make some significant changes and differences in childhood obesity risk. Many thanks to Tashara Leek for taking the time to talk to us. This podcast was supported as part of a grant from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation, but its contents don't necessarily represent the opinions or policies of that office or the Institute for Research on Poverty. To catch new episodes of the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. You can also find all of our past episodes on the Institute for Research on Poverty website. Thanks for listening.